This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. I see that pattern of Jews on whom something happened that Jesus touched them and made them whole. And God said to Israel in verse two, in verse two, the Lord has sworn by his holiness that he will take you away, he said, he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. So God looks at man that he created and God then looks at Israel that he has chosen and God sees sin, sin, sin. And God looks at himself and says, In man I see sin, in myself I see no sin. I see holiness. And one of us, God says, has got to change. And it's not going to be me becoming sinful. That's out of the question. So God says, man must change or be removed from the earth. And God says, something that he has never said before in Scripture before, he says, when I see myself as holy and I see you, as sinful, I will swear by my holiness, in verse two, verse two, the Lord hath sworn by his holiness. And that's how judgment is falling on man, by God swearing by his holiness. And when God swears by his holiness, it's because he says that you've crushed the needy, you've oppressed the poor, and the judgment comes and he sees it. And yes, I see another pattern another pattern of God dealing with those who oppress and crush those Jews who are coming to Jesus. In verse two, in verse two, the Lord uh, God has sworn by his holiness and lo, the days will come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks, hooks and fish hooks. Last, Last week I was out alone in the Sea of Cortez there in my little tiny aluminum 14-foot boat out there fishing for Dorado, all alone, trolling along around four miles an hour with my line way out, way out. It was about 100 yards back from the 
behind the boat. And I was thinking, I was out there, I think it's so great to be out here alone. I can talk, I can sing, nobody says you're crazy, they can't hear you. And got in, you always get involved in something, I don't know what, texting, whatever. And when the least time, the least I expected, all the while in the midst of this beautiful water and this gentle breeze, and all of a sudden the real roars and the Dorado is taking the sardine bait with the hook and the contest starts. And it's between me and the Dorado, very personal. And, uh, and so, you know, you turn around and, and, and you see this fish 100 yards back, you know, like a football field away. He's, he's wild, he's jumping out of the water, and you're thinking, I wonder if that has anything to do with the reel of the ear, and there's so far away. And he's, he's jumping out of the water, and, and, and he's wild, and he's jumping 10 foot out of the water, and just splash down up, and he's got that hook in his mouth. And he's acrobatic because they're very in the air. And, you, and then you give him a little line to express his rage at the fact that the hook is in his mouth. He's sitting there saying, how dare you do this? You know? And so you, you let him go where he wants to go. And then he pauses. And then you reel, 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 reel. You know? And then he feels the pull of the, the, the hook, you know, pulling, 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 pulling him toward the boat. And then he gets his second breath. And he, and he just takes off very strong. And you give him more line. And he makes a, the, he does that, he's making a bold statement. He says, I don't have to go where this hook is pulling me. And then he just takes off and you have to let him go because otherwise you'll break the line. And then he tires and then you bring him in close to the boat and then you lower down that silver gaff, that hook, as he gets close to the boat. And when he sees that, he realizes, he sees that look of metal and he realizes what that is. And he just takes off with that last burst of strength. And he goes out from the boat. He shoots down. He's looking for some rocks to hide in. And he's pulling all the while harder on that hook in his mouth. But gradually, uh, and I sit there and I say, one of us is going to tire out. It's either you or me. But gradually, it's him. And finally, you pull him in because that fish hook's in his mouth. And he can't spit it out. He just can't get it. And you're able to bring him in close. And you gaff him and you bring him up, and he now becomes one of several delicious dinners. And then the wind and the waves have picked up, and the trip back to the marina is all with spray and bang, bang. And you constantly are positioning the boat to head straight into the waves because you don't want him to hit your broadside and capsize the boat. And you safely get back to the refuge of the harbor, and that night Dorado is no longer on the sea, it's on the plate. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle and it's a battle between the fish and the pull of that hook in his mouth where eventually the hook and the line just becomes too much for the Dorado. And then the end of verse two is all about this when God says about the judgment in verse two, he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And just as that Dorado, you know, they're a very bold fish. When you go down under the water, you snorkel, you sewer dive, you never see a Dorado. You see all the other kinds of fish, yellowtail, all of them, but you never see a Dorado because they're just so bold and they're fast and they swim with a great confidence before they get hooked. And the lost are like that. They go through life with a great boldness and a great confidence. They don't need God. They don't need Jesus as their savior. And the last thing on that Dorado's mind is a fisherman hauling them in. And the last thing on the mind of a lost person is that they're gonna be hauled in for judgment. And just as that Dorado was at, at first shocked and enraged that he's, that he's hooked and he's jumping out of the water and the, 
the lost are shocked to find out that, that with age comes limitations, which is like the pull of the grave, pull of the hook of the grave, pulling, stopping them from doing what they used to be able to do in life and going where they used to be able to go in life. And just as that Dorado realized that, he, that he's being pulled into his death, so comes the realization of their loss that the pull of death is to a judgment, as it says in, in Hebrews 9.27, Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And that Dorado tires, and he doesn't, he doesn't, there's no more... There's no more spunk. There's no more strength to pull against it, and he gets drawn closer to the boat, and, and just as that Dorado sees the gap, though, he realizes it's his death, and he gets that second, that second wind, that spurt, that last burst, and the lost realize that death is going to take him away, and they have a second breath, a second spurt of resistance until finally Dorado just tires, and the pull of the line just is over. Too much overcomes. He's brought in. And the lost finally are brought to judgment. And this is what is being referred to in verse 2. He will take you with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And this is a Dorado is brought into the boat. It's almost like the Dorado. I sometimes look at it. It's like a katak. It would say, the Dorado would say to me, it was that hook. It was that fish hook. Against that hook, I became totally helpless. I've been taken for destruction because of that hook. I got caught by a hook. The Dorado would say to me that, and I would say to the Dorado, yes, it was that hook that took you to me. And I remember when I took out of that tackle box and chose that hook, it was the, not just any hook, it was the special hook with the, with the ringed hook with the bar back on the other side so that went in, you couldn't spit it out. And we hear God saying something he didn't ex- we didn't expect for God to hear him say in verse four. In verse four, God says, come to Bethel, and transgress. And at Gilgal, multiply your transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes after three years. God says to Israel, come on, sin. Go ahead, sin. Go ahead and transgress. Multiply your transgressions. Why? Why would God say this? Why would a holy God tell Israel to go ahead and sin more and more and more? It's because God's patience has run out. It's because God has waited and waited and waited for Israel to repent and turn from their sins. But Israel hasn't returned, and Israel has persisted in their sins. So God says, I give up. Go ahead. Proceed on with your sins now. Judgment is slated. It's just a matter of time for you to fill up the cup of your transgressions. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to judge Israel, but they have brought it on themselves to the point of 2 Chronicles 36, 16. 2 Chronicles 36, 16. They mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. No remedy. In Hebrew, that word remedy is the same word as rafa. It's the same word as healing. There was no healing. It's the same word that's used in 2 Chronicles 21.18. 2 Chronicles 21.18. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. It's the word incurable, disease. There was no cure for that disease. That's the word that's used in 2 Chronicles 36.16. 
the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy, there was no cure. There was no cure. This is what Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the cure. He's the cure from the disease of sin. He's the remedy for sin. But when a person puts Christ away from him and says he will not have Christ to be his master, he will not have Christ to be his Lord, he will not have Christ to be his Savior, then there's no cure. He's the only cure. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man is cured from his sin to be able to come to the Father but by me. He said, there's no remedy for the sentence of hell. There's no remedy for the judgment of sins when Jesus Christ is put away from a person. When a person has been told so many times that he's a sinner and that he needs to receive Christ and that Christ died for his sins and that Christ can give him a new heart so he'll stop sinning and the person just gets harder and harder and harder. Then God says, Proverbs 29.1, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy, and that without cure, and that without healing. Suddenly destroyed, and that without a healing, without a cure. Suddenly destroyed, and that without the healing of Jesus Christ, and that without the healing of the cross. At that point, God says, Isaiah 1.5, Isaiah 1.5, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. And so God reaches a point as he has here in Amos when he says, I'm tired of correcting you. I'm tired of chastening you. It's no longer worth my time because you've decided that you do not want to be changed by Jesus Christ. And so God says at this point, Revelation 22.11, Revelation 22.11, he that's unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let it be filthy still. It's a terrible thing to hear God say that. It's a terrible thing to hear God say, I'm done. It's a terrible thing to hear God say, Revelation 22, 11, he that's unjust, let him be unjust still. He that's filthy, let him be filthy still. It's a terrible thing to hear Jehovah Jesus say in Matthew 15, 14, Matthew 15, 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. When Jesus said that in Matthew 15, 14, let them alone, he was telling the disciples to let them be. Beyond hope, beyond hope to the point where God gave them up in Romans 1.24, Romans 1.24, where God, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. What were the people like when God said that, that he had had it with them? Well, what they were like is verse five, verse five, Amos four, five, verse five. They were offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaiming and publishing free offerings. This liketh you, this is what you like. O you children of Israel, saith the Lord God. When God said for them that they were offering a sacrifice with leaven, leaven is always a symbol of sin in the Bible. God never wanted any leaven to be in the sacrifices that were offered to him. So now, why is God saying that they were just to go ahead with your offerings of sacrifice with leaven? He's saying that the people were religious. Religion, they were not lacking in. Lots of religion, but sinful. 
in their religions. So God invited them, just keep on mixing your sin with your religion. God invited them, keep on with your religious offerings of thanksgiving with sin. God was saying, keep on being religious and sinful. This is what God meant when he said in verse four, verse four, come to Bethel, Bethel means the house of God, and transgress, transgress. So God was emphasizing here that they were structured, very structured. They were disciplined, very disciplined in their religion, as God said, as God said in Amos 4, 4, verse four, bring your sacrifices every morning, every morning, without missing one morning. They were punctual, they were consistent in their religion. Now, in the next five verses here, the next five verses, God tells all that he tried to bring the people back, and he tried to bring them back, and with one judgment after the other, and God just kept saying, this didn't work, and this didn't work, and this didn't work. First, God brought a famine. No food is a judgment on the people in verse six. Verse six, I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And after the famine judgment, God said the sad words, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And then he brought drought, no rain, as a judgment to bring the people back to God in verses seven and eight, verses seven and eight. I also have withholden the rain from you, wherein there were yet three months to the harvest. I caused it to rain on one city and caused it not to rain on another city. Another piece was rained upon, the other piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Again, you feel this great sadness on God's part. And then in order to bring the people back to him, God brought mold and mildew and, and little animals, devouring animals like caterpillars and locusts, and, and then a hot, dry wind on their crops that destroyed their gardens and their trees. In verse nine, verse nine, I have smitten you with a blasting and mildew in your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and olive trees increased and the palmer word devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me. A real sense of failure on the part of God. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And then fourth with the goal of just breaking the rebellion, bring the people back. God brought disease and sickness, a pandemic, and war to the people that killed their young men and their horses and brought a stench of death in the cities. In verse 10, verse 10, I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses and I have made the stink of your camp to come up into your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me. Frustration on God's part. And last, God tried to bring the people back to him by overthrowing their cities with a natural disaster, probably an earthquake or fire from the sky. He mentions Sodom in verse 11. I have thrown, overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me. Admits, God admits, I failed, I tried, I wanted, I couldn't bring him back. And after all these judgments, God brought in the lives on Israel. He brought them all in. He brought, he brought all these judgments into their lives. Now he turns to his last persuasion. The last persuasion, the last card in his deck God takes. After that, there's nothing left. And this is why God says, 
in verse 12, verse 12, therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee. The last thing that God is gonna do, and he leaves us in the dark in an ominous warning, and he's talking about death. He's talking about death. He's talking about the Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die and after this judgment. He's talking about death when he says in verse 12, verse 12, therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. So God is saying one, is, one thing is for sure, and that is death is not a permanent closing of the eyes. All eyes will open again after death. And it's what a person sees when he opens up his eyes that's the subject of what God is talking about in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, verse 12, Daniel 12, 2, Daniel 12, 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Every person is gonna open up his eyes after death. For some after death, when they open up their eyes, they're going to see what Job talked about as he was dying. Job, Job 19.26, Job 19.26. And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Isaiah spoke about opening his eyes after death, and he says what he saw, he made him sing. In Isaiah 26, 19, Isaiah 26, 19, thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and thy earth shall cast out the dead. David said, David said, about his own death in Psalm 17:15. Psalm 17:15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Not everyone is going to open their eyes and see those things that Job talked about, that Isaiah talked about, that David talked about. Some will open their eyes to see torment, to see pain, to say, see shame, to see guilt, to see everlasting contempt. As it says in Luke 16.22, Luke 16.22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Everyone will open their eyes again after death. Some will open their eyes and they'll see King Jesus in heaven. Wonderful sight. A beautiful sight, as Isaiah said, Isaiah 33, 17, Isaiah 33, 17. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Some very religious people will see Jesus also as judge and never see him again as they're cast into hell in Matthew 7, 21, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, preached in thy name, and thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.